Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast, your podcast for everything Smart Cities action, investment, and outcomes. Uh, my name is Adam Beck, your host of the Chronicles. My day job, of course, Executive Director for the Smart Cities Council here in the region. Uh, and welcome to episode 60 of the Chronicles. Uh, we bring to you today another episode of The Week in Data. Uh, that's our ongoing uh, sub-episode where we focus in uh, around relevant data topics and we bring guests onto the podcast who share what they've seen and read and heard during the week. Uh, and today I'm joined by Robert Linsdorf from Vertiv, one of our partner companies. Robert, so uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, good morning, Adam. So, Robert, uh, our listeners are scattered all over the world. Uh, can you share with them uh, and all of us who you are and what you do? So my name is Robert Linsdell. I'm the Managing Director for Australia and New Zealand to effectively look after these two countries. And uh, we're supplying equipment that keeps data centers and anything uh, running, actually, quite topical at the moment. Quite topical indeed. Um, it's, uh, it's Monday the 16th of March here while we're recording this. Uh, and just even in the last 24 hours in Australia, uh, or even less than that, we've seen uh, the state of Victoria declared an emergency in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, along with a myriad of other uh, restrictions and uh, you know advisory notices coming from all levels of government. Uh, also, the private sector, Robert, you know, late last week, we saw Telstra, our largest telco, put in place a work from home policy for their 20,000 staff. This is really, I suppose, unprecedented times. And as you say, very topical, given uh, your role and Vertiv's role in the world of trying to uh, help us all maintain continuity. Yes, it's quite a challenge. We're, we're, we're fortunate in Australia and New Zealand that the, uh, the design and the methods that are used to maintain and keep uh, data centers and uh, anything that needs to be kept running for 24 hours, uh, seven days a week, is, is actually quite well done. So under most circumstances, uh, the equipment keeps running. It's of course when something goes wrong. And our current challenge at the moment is to make sure that uh, we keep all our service techs um, isolated from each other so that in the hopefully unlikely event of them uh, catching this virus, that uh, our service is not compromised to our customers. Uh, the the virus, of course, is uh, top of mind uh, right now. But um, of course, we've just come through a pretty nasty summer with a with another crisis being bushfire. Um, did you have any uh, any sort of post bushfire season sort of uh, analysis or observations? Uh, what what did you make of? Uh, our, our sort of level of resilience and our ability to keep things going during that uh, that, that sort of uh, challenging time. Yes, we, we, we do have a few stories of uh, some data centers and, and certainly some telecom equipment that was compromised uh, by these fires. Uh, but, but generally in the main, um, I think we've had a number of precedents that have helped us uh, again build decent networks. I, I can imagine that in the future, um, they'll become better still. We're looking at, uh, some of our customers are looking at uh, mesh networks and our equipment needs to be, uh, you know, the resilience that is expected of it to perform under these difficult circumstances. I mean, for instance, some data centers um, are now being considered, if they're in a bushfire smoke area, then maybe using free cooling without uh, good filtration. 
um, is not necessarily such a good idea. Mm. And some companies are considering closed loop systems. So mm. it, it does teach us lessons. Um, I guess some people think, why don't we know these things to start off with? But uh, it's easy to be clever in hindsight. Yeah. Are you seeing, uh, let's just talk about some broad trends for a moment. Um, just with respect to data storage, you know, we've just, we've just turned into a new decade, you know, it's 2020. Um, what, what sort of, what sort of the, uh, the, the, the trends, the analysis, uh, with respect to storage, I mean, obviously, you know, the, 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 the quantum of data we're generating and we're wanting to store continues to sort of escalate. But in terms of sort of, you know, cloud edge, other, other sort of places, I heard the word data fabric the other day. What's, what's, what's the talk on the street with, uh, with the data storage people? So over the last four or five years, we've seen very significant growth in anything that stores data. Uh, most of, not most of it, a good portion of it have been, has been cloud. We've seen a number of enterprises um, adopt and use cloud-based systems, and some of them are still maintaining a private, a degree of private cloud, and they still have some on-premise. But the majority of growth has been from the the big five cloud providers and and some of the other, the other areas. For instance, um, sales CRM systems, ERP systems, where they've moved from uh, on-premise to uh, cloud-based. Um, but of course, we have been also talking about the potential growth in edge, and uh, we're seeing it, um, maybe not at the levels that um, it's been, again, like everything seems to be hyped up these days before it actually delivers its uh, growth. But um, as 5G comes on board, we'll, we, we, we believe we'll see um, pretty dramatic increases in the requirements for uh, data to be stored where, where the action is. I, d- I did hear... Oh, I th- uh, sometime late last year, given concern around privacy and security in particular, that there was a there was a little bit of a move to come back on premises. Did you did you pick that up? Was that just sort of bad intel that I got? No, I think that uh, I mean that is one of the ways of addressing this issue. I mean, it, the pri- privacy is going to be a massive uh, problem. Mm. Um, I saw you had Nicole on fairly recently, mm. an expert in this area. Uh, look, it's going to be a massive problem because uh, ultimately we as consumers, we really want easy access to a lot of stuff and we don't really want to be uh, restricted. But on the other hand, we don't want to hand over our privacy either. We're used to remaining private. It certainly changes to a degree with the younger generation. Um, and I think we see it a lot more in a number of the Western cultures and in some of the developing and emerging areas of the world. But uh, to maintain uh, true security, if you, if you trust your provider of, uh, of a service, I'm not talking about a telco provider or a cloud-based provider, but if you trust your uh, provider that's providing you with a service to look after your security, then, then we have seen trends where they're tending to do it in a, in a closed-loop system of their own. And, and I have read and uh, also spoken with people like, uh, we, I think we can anticipate that some of the 5G uh, propositions will be security-based propositions to allow and, and again, maintain some kind of um, uh, 
uh, firewall, that's not the right word, but you know, like a ring fencing of, of that information so that when we do hand over our security to these guys, because unfortunately, in one way or another, I don't see, my personally, I don't see any way around it. Uh, but at least you can perhaps hopefully trust that provider to to look after your data. It'll be interesting to see how that develops over the next couple of years or so. And, and Robert, I've noticed, um, uh, particularly in the IoT world and the deployment of sensors, um, the the sort of gathering of of you know biometric data in particular, um, uh, cameras and and uh, other sensors. You know, there's this real, for good reason, you know, concern about the security and storage. Um, just, just sort of put privacy aside for a moment, but but just that type of data and where and how it gets stored is is of of sort of you know high interest. Is, is there, when it comes to the data storage world, is there any sort of slicing up of priority in terms of? what type of data gets stored where? I think, Adam, you're playing deliberately to some of my fears that I've voiced on uh, public. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yes, which is fair enough. Uh, actually, there are. Um, we, we, we obviously know quite a number of the co-location companies and cloud-based companies quite intimately. And they do um, spend a lot of effort, especially uh, anything that's related to government in ensuring that there's a that there's a, a, a good levels of um, partitioning between mm. this I mean a lot of the companies the co-location companies it's quite a, a common known fact generally that they make a lot of money out of the connections between who's actually within the data center so that they cut down on external uh, travel of communication outside of the data center so quite often um, some companies want to um, be habited in the same data center to to help reduce these costs and also because of again come, coming down to uh, trust issues so sometimes they'll make a decision that they want to go into that co-location company because they uh, want to have access and sometimes they say well I'm not going to go in there because these other guys are in there it's quite interesting to see how that privacy uh, component uh, develops so you'll you may find some of the co-location companies are placing certain types of company into one phase of their data center story. And then in another site, they'll have other companies. Mm, okay. I mean, uh, it's not really my level of expertise to yeah, be honest, yeah, but, yeah. but these are, but these are uh, areas that we, we see this and you know, when we're, when, when we're building resilience into an organization with this data center setup, I mean, it's, it's more of an, uh, an interest value rather than the fact that, uh, you know, what we're trying to do there is to make sure that their data centers are, are kept 24 seven. Just, just use, you use the word resilience just then. And um, mm. uh, of course, extremely topical. I've got a lot of uh, friends and a number of our members, you know, mix in the resilience world. Do you think um, when, and I don't want to say when this is all and done in terms of COVID-19, but, you know, bushfires, uh, health, you know, pandemic, um, are we going to see, do you think we are going to see or view the idea of resilience in a different way sometime later this year or next year? Does this really change this idea of resilience now, do you think? I, I really hope that it does uh, because um, it's interesting when we see how people behave. I mean, 
um, probably most of us have seen on various feeds or on the TV about how humans behave when uh, they're concerned they're not going to get another roll of uh, toilet roll. And, and this is interesting if we just pick that particular item because that's really uh, testing the supply chains of businesses mm. on maintaining supply, even though uh, there are a number of people that have got probably more stock than they need for a year. But resilience, um, unfortunately, we sometimes see that it's compromised because it's compromised by cost. So I guess the question is, is that will, will, can we ever convince a consumer to pay more for something that they are wanting to uh, purchase reliably all of the time? I, we have seen evidence that uh, people mm. are choosing certain services over others because they know that they can get that service uh, regularly. Mm. Um, it would be always interesting to know whether those companies can, uh, that, that, that are providing these more reliable services are able to charge for them. So that's where I think the compromise is, is you know, how do we make, make sure that as we come out of these um, somewhat uh, difficult situations uh, and environments that we're finding ourselves, flooding and uh, bushfires, as you mentioned, and now the current virus challenge, um, whether companies are seeking to be truly uh, invested better to ensure that their assets are, are being maintained. I mean, we're, um, we've, we've actually been told by some of our companies they don't want our maintenance guys to go to site. Now, obviously, I'm not going to give the, 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 um, tell you who they are. Mm. But, you know, my, my view is, is that, you know, what, 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 is, what, you know, what risk calculation is going through their mind right then? Are they more concerned that, one of our service techs who we're trying to make sure at all times are obviously going to be free of the virus are going to come to the site. They hardly see anybody as it is. They go on site and they do that routine maintenance. Are they choosing the fear of the virus over the fear of maintaining that data center in operation? How do you make that calculation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. think I'd be compromising a data center because unfortunately, when that goes down, then that their whole business, they can talk about business continuity plans mm. and, you know, what they're doing about the virus and whatever, but there's got to be some core components of what they're doing that they must maintain at all times. We must maintain our service engineers. We must maintain spares. We need to keep our business running because we have a both a social and an ethical responsibility to make sure people are keeping their data centers running. So... For me, resilience is is almost the main word that uh, that revolves around our company. I I was just listening uh, to the ABC uh, earlier this morning, um, and I think it's today. There's a meeting of all the telcos and the the federal communications department. You, you know, it, it's um the, the old pipes in the ground and uh, people's Wi-Fi home Wi-Fi are certainly going to get a bit of a test out this week mm -hmm. and in the coming months, aren't they? Certainly are. I mean, and, and I think actually seeing the, the telcos last week announced, uh, some of them certainly announced, you know, go home, work from home. They're trying to reduce the, uh, the impact that their business could have. I mean, you, I mean, you, you've probably been to some of the sites where, where, where they live. We, we, we know that they, they house thousands and thousands of people. Mm. So the, 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 the quick decision to make sure everybody works from home, as soon as you dissipate that population, I mean, it's been pretty much proven that if you send everybody home and isolate them for 14 days, you know, the, the virus drops dramatically. Yeah. So, so the fact that, that they've exercised that quickly, I think they, it demonstrates a, 
a seriousness of um, uh, on the way they take their business and the responsibilities that they're taking. We're operating the same at the moment. Um, all of our service engineers are not allowed to unless they're working. Sometimes we need to send two to a site, um, uh, and often they could be a, a power guy and a mechanical guy. We're making sure that those uh, guys that are paired up stay paired up and that we don't keep cross-fertilizing amongst all the mm. uh, other techs. Um, and they're not allowed to socialize, unfortunately. Um, they're not allowed to come into the office uh, unless they come in as a, as a, a one. And we've and we split all our teams at the moment, A and B, although I, I, I fear that possibly by the end of this week that at least Sydney will probably be clamped down anyway. So this, this could be old news by the time you publish this, that... <laughs> if, uh, if, they, if they send us all home, they will all be working from home like they have in Italy already. Yeah, well, I was only just thinking before we started this uh, conversation, Robert, that, you know, we could get to the end of this and something else has been announced and, and it's totally irrelevant again. But um, anyway, it, it is it is fascinating nonetheless. So, um, so, so, so look, um, uh, the week in data is, uh, is me uh, asking our guest... Um, you know, what did you hear, see, uh, or learn or read uh, that's of interest around data uh, sort of this week or recently? So, so I'm going to formally put that question to you. Is there anything uh, that you've stumbled across, uh, whether, whether it's virus-related or not, uh, in the data world that sort of intrigued you or, or caught your eye? Yeah, so I, I've probably got two answers uh, for this one. Um, on the one hand, uh, I do have a virus-related answer, and I have a non-virus-related answer because obviously, when we get out of all of this and the business goes on, and a lot of that information seems to be uh, put to uh, one side, I guess the uh, the data-related um, component associated with the virus is how they've worked out uh, a lot of these algorithms running over big data. I mean, I think that's the thing that really impresses me over the last one or two years is our ability to take large data sets and uh, create some sensible um, story and maybe direction out of it, which is what we're seeing with the um, um, now with the repeat. Obviously, when China went into uh, lockdown, um, certainly in the Wuhan area, they were obviously collecting data at that stage, but they've been able to use some of that trend data and an and analysis of that as it's gone to Italy and has gone to Korea and some of these other areas where they are able to then spit that back out and then, and then it can be a lesson to all of us, which is one of the reasons why I believe, you know, governments are making much faster actions. You know, France is locked down. Mm -hmm. uh, as I say, I think here or lockdown. But then if you flip that over to the non-virus story, I think one of the areas that particularly interests me is uh, retail. Um, the reason why I picked on that particular vertical is because Retail requires large data sets. You know, it wants information to come through. They're already relatively experienced in how they're using that data to help influence us. Mm. Um, but, um, but, but, the, but, but the, other, the other point that I'm finding is that, is that you know, retail is struggling because it's not making enough money. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, they know they have to do it. So you've got a, a data situation here being forced upon them to say, well, how do I maintain my relevance and my um, competitive position while still providing a service to customers. And, 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 and the only way they can do that is to understand what their customers want. So they have these very large data sets that they're chunking through. I and mean, unfortunately in Australia, 
mean, you travel more than I do these days. Well, we're not allowed to travel at all. But you travel a lot, and you must go to places like the U.S. where they're trialing things like the uh, the the uh, company that used to do books and now does everything. The Go, where they have the where they have their um, little shops. Have you been in one of those yet, where you can oh, go and buy stuff at cashierless? Yeah, the the the, the, the Amazon store. You, uh, you, I didn't you want all... to say their name. I'm not allowed. I'm not sure that I was allowed to use people's names. So that, 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 that's right. I, I, I did you that. Can do it. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you walk in, take off the shelf, and you yes. walk, walk out, and it's, it's been able to sense and pick it up. And, and but think of all the data sets that are included on that. You yeah. Know, and all the, all the different components that have to talk to each other. You know, it needs to know that it's you. It may be facially recognizing. I have no idea. Um, certainly, it needs to know you on your payment systems, whether you've got, you know, and, 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 and what choice of product do they need to go in there if they've got nobody in there stacking shelves then they have to have data sets that give them indications about i mean i would imagine it's an absolute nightmare at the moment but uh, prior to all this uh, virus stuff you know, think about all the calculations supply chain all those components that have to go to ensure that either a, a big supermarket store or a, uh, a small store is having to uh, operate under these circumstances we, we, we've been doing quite a lot of work globally, in fact, but certainly have a number locally now where, where some of the very large uh, retail supermarkets, et cetera, they're, having, uh, they're putting in uh, uh, micro data centers or small set data centers, anything from say, from, say, one to six racks. And they're storing information on the premise that they can use very quickly um, to feed back on all of their supply chain movements. Ultimately, we, we know that this is going into stores. Mm. So think of all those data sets that are being used to make that a sensible uh, and seamless experience for us, the, the consumer. There's another, um, just in terms of in-store, in-premises, the other, the other big one is, is automation, isn't it? Yes. And, and, and robotics. And, and just... Yes. The, the way in which the way in which uh, data is being used, collected, processed indoors these days uh, in in sort of major facilities is 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 rapidly changing. I was just reading something. Oh, I think it was last week. It was one of those. You know, um, they asked top industrial. Uh, you know. Um, private sector companies you know where that where sort of major innovation spend is going to be uh in the next little while and i mean hands down nine times out of ten it was in in robotics and automation yes uh, and i'm thinking to myself wow that's a lot of uh that's a lot of processing in real time right there yep. in, within the the four walls and roof of the of the factory or or, or the other sort of facility and i guess the mine sites are pretty much the leaders in this area over yeah. here yeah yeah, um, they've they've been doing it for a while now. Um, they they, uh, they the, the CIOs and and CTOs that I've spoken to in these areas, they're always challenged by the interoperability between the various different uh, systems. But uh, yes, there's a lot of on-premise um, calculations and data being processed at these sites because connectivity to them is uh, not the best. We we are seeing some trends where. Uh, we anticipate just as they built their own railways, there's a possibility they may build their own connectivity um, so that they can cloud-based some of this stuff and, um, and have some localized cloud, which is also an interesting development because before it was always done at a local level. And then I, got, I do have one statistic on this is that um, I have read that they, the, 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 the people that 
make a lot more predictions than I do, uh, are determining that they believe that 50% of the data generated on uh, at edge type locations will be in or an, in, an industrial uh, application like a manufacturer, you know, dairy farms, chicken farms, you know, these kind of areas will be using massive amounts of uh, data uh, needing to be processed relatively locally um, uh, in comparison to some of the other areas. I, I think the sleeping giant is health myself, but you know, there's a lot of regulation in that, in that area, which will make it um, difficult. But right now I agree with you. I think, I think industrial is the, is the big thing, but I find retail more exciting. So just on sleeping giants, um, I mean, we've, we've awakened this one already, which is the climate crisis, mm. you know, d data centers, storage, processing of data, you know, ha has not, has not gone unnoticed with respect to um, energy consumption and therefore greenhouse gas emissions. Um, what is the latest when it comes to the idea of energy efficiency and data centers and storage and, and processing. I mean, what, 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 what do you, what do you monitor? What do you track? What do you uh, invest in to try and sort of, you know, advance that idea of, you know, greater power, less, less sort of impact, less planetary impact. Mm. All right. So there's a, there's a, there's about three or four answers to that, to that. I'll try and I'll try and do at least two of them. What, one of them is, uh, is, Obviously, the companies where a data center is a significant part of their energy spend are paying a lot more attention to this component than perhaps other companies which, uh, where their energy spend is big, but the actual data center component of it plays a relatively small part. Um, I think they miss a little bit of the story, to be honest, if they, if they have a heavy reliance on cloud which was uh, something that we talked about. We were at a conference last week. Um, one of my colleagues, Peter Simon and myself, we were, we were uh, presenting at a conference on uh, data center optimization and minimizing energy, which I'll come on to on a, in a moment. But the, the learning, the, one of the learnings we have is that a lot of enterprises um, by going cloud are, I don't believe that they are knowingly, deliberately handing over the responsibility to someone else. I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting that, but by having cloud as a major uh, IT component of their business, um, I don't believe that a lot of companies are necessarily looking at, am I using an, an efficient cloud? That's not on the agenda yet. Mm, mm. I believe it will be. I mean, at the moment in this country, we're probably running it's difficult to get the actual information, but I estimate probably between four, maybe four and a half percent of all the energy generated in Australia uh, is being used um, in some form of data center. So it's not insignificant. I was talking mm. with a power guy on this last week. And in some countries like uh, uh, Ireland, where they're heavily data center dependent, and I don't know whether I've got the statistic right, but I believe it's something in the order of 25 or will be 30% of all of the energy generated in Ireland um, will be for data centers. Wow. And when it reaches those kind of levels, you know, it's, that, it's the data center capital of, um, of, um, of Europe. So um, in that particular environment, you can understand um, they really do need to make a, a good attention to it. If I come on to the second point that I made, which was the optimization of data centers, 
last week we presented this information. We've been, we've been working on this for quite some time um, and because you threw in some interesting uh, components you know, to do with climate and you know, weather patterns and whatever. What we uh, have been able to develop using IoT sensors in the data center, which you know, um, sensors have been around in data centers for quite some time, but the, the information we can get out of them now is much, much better than it used to be. And so we are able to um, basically set up the data center with these sensors. We can run it for a month, but before and after, and we can make quite easily some recommendations. And we're starting to automate some of that, which, which, which brings in some other uh, questions in terms of control, which I won't go into. But what was, what was particularly interesting is that as we again collect all these, uh, this data from the operation of a data center, we can start to match that against um, water degree days and what the climate is going to be. And we can optimize the data center knowing what the climate is going to be outside, particularly if they're using things like free cooling. We've never been able to do this before. I mean, mm. people may have claimed that maybe there were some experiments, but we could make this mainstream or we're working on making this mainstream, which is, I think, developmental-wise, if we can manage our data centers, even if we're only saving 5, 10, 15, 20% of energy, you know, it all adds up and, uh, and makes us more responsible. There's, um, you know, there's certainly been a, a very successful global green building movement you know, um, mm. evolving for, for at least sort of the, the past decade or two. And Australia certainly is a, is a green building leader when you look at its, um, its rankings on uh, sort of, you know, global investment indices like Gresb and others. Is, is there, um, in, just in terms of your, your role in the ecosystem and, you know, the, the, the built environment is, it, it's the, physical manifestation of, of kind of all the things that we do. We, we pretty much spend, uh, you know, 90, 80, 90% of our time every day inside some sort of a building. So, so, so the built environment, you know, is, is a huge sort of opportunity to improve lives, well-being, improve the planet as well. Do you, do you as sort of a provider of data storage get, sort of more intimate, intimately involved in, in sort of strategic decisions and planning and design and like, or, or, or are you just sort of at the end of this ecosystem where we need some storage, you know, you, you tend to, you respond, you come in. Is there, is there any, is there any shift in the mindset in terms of, you know, major any energy users within, in buildings, you know, let's sort of engage early, you know, to try and sort of optimize, minimize, get, get sort of best solutions. Do, do you find yourself sort of at all moving further up the value chain, if I can sort of describe it that way? Uh, I wish we were. Um, yeah. I'd like to be. Um, I think from where, I think one of the, the, the problems with where we sit uh, as, as, a, as providers of crit critical infrastructure to keep data centers running and also, you know, managing very you know various software systems actually that to keep them optimized and, and working as efficiently as possible uh we, we don't come into that conversation early enough in my opinion it's one of the, the things i've been trying to do over the last four or five years is to uh to, is to show people how important the data center is because ultimately without it hardly anything functions when it comes to smart buildings mm. there are a number of companies that are well positioned to uh, provide 
support in these areas obviously people that are, that are providing you know automation elevators those kind of areas i i think it's a subject from what i've what i've experienced uh, attending various events or uh, from what i read i think it's an agenda item um i know that there are a number of companies that are taking it very seriously some of the some of the builders and developers take it very seriously mm. um, but we're not enough part of that agenda unfortunately i think it's because we we play too small a part mm. and most of our story is around making sure that if you have got a a smart building that you again you maintain that resilience to keep it all running i mean the last thing you want is a heating system going haywire because uh, it's been hacked into or um, or, the, or the system has failed yeah it is an interesting one sort of the the evolving dialogue around the idea of smart buildings and mm. you know you, people do use the language you know like every building's going to be sort of a data center a, a data sensor right yes, and yes. of course um it infuriates me at times when i when i see the focus just on the data collection but sort of it's then got to go somewhere so we can then pick it up and and analyze it for insights otherwise it's kind of useless so i, I sometimes do see uh, quite a substantial disconnect between collection of data, storage of data, and then sort of, you know, analytics analysis, because at the end of the day, you know, the whole purpose of the, of the, of the sensing was, was obviously to sort of be able to access it and sense it and make better decisions. So um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, uh, you know, similar well, frustrations at times. Yeah, I look, I, I think at a philosophical level, if we look at it, I mean, you know, you and I have been on the planet a while. We're not, we're not young, young people seeing all this stuff for the first time. I think we're just entering a period of there's just too much change. I mean, di let's disregard bushfires and, um, and uh, coronaviruses for a second. Just uh, if, if I look at every single vertical, I mean, we, we support every single vertical. And um, obviously we're more prevalent and important in some than we are others, but we're everywhere. And every single one of those verticals is being impacted in its own way. Mm. Uh, I, mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I've never seen so much uh, potential change. You know, we've got AI coming at us. Okay, AI is more specific. Machine learning you've already talked about. You know, VR, you, you, you just name all of these apps, your facial recognition, all these things are seeking to change the way we do things. All of them are dependent upon technology. You know, resilience isn't necessarily uh, always top of people's minds. So everybody gets excited about the, the shiny um, customer experience thing they developed. But, you know, how does that fall back into making sure that it's a seamless and resilient and uh, trouble-free experience? And, uh, you know, I know at you, I've not experienced anything like this. And I think it's really, I think it really challenges a lot of people. Mm. So you picked on smart buildings there, but you could pick on anything. I know, I know. I, know. It, I mean, someone was telling me last week, as a, and I'm not clever enough to think this statement, but he said <laughs> that he was talking to, to someone or he'd seen a TED talk or something. And this sort of sentence resonated with him. So I think it's worth uh, 10 seconds, he says it's that the amount of change that we've experienced over the last year will be the slowest amount of change we're going to experience over the next five to 10 years. Wow. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I don't know whether it's true or not, but yeah. you know what? It, it's been pretty tough. It's been a tough last year with, with all of these environmental things being thrown at us. It's, it's making running a business quite uh, difficult. 
It is, it is. And, uh, and with that, Robert, we, um, we got to call a close to uh, what's been a, uh, a fascinating conversation. We, we start, start in one place, we go in another, but um, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for joining us and sharing uh, views and thoughts and responses to what is not only some very topical uh, issues right now with uh, the sort of the shocks and stresses we've got going on in the system, but also your thoughts and views more broadly around the industry. Uh, it's been very, very enlightening. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Adam. Thank you for inviting me and thank you listeners for listening. Yes, it's uh, actually been fun. Thank you. No, that's a pleasure. And for our listeners, uh, that's been Robert Linsdall, uh, Managing Director for Australia and New Zealand for Verdiv. Uh, Architects of Continuity, of course, very topical, uh, as you've just heard. Uh, for those not subscribing to the Chronicles, you can do so. Head to wherever it is you get your podcasts. We, uh, we should be there. You can always uh, send us an email as well. Uh, the address is chronicles at anz.smartcitiescouncil.com. All our podcasts are also on our website, which is smartcitieschronicles.com. My name is Adam Beck, the host of The Chronicles. We look forward to bringing you another episode very shortly. Thanks for listening.